It's Wednesday, the 16th of December. Welcome to our Afternoon Sport Deep Dive. I'm Tim Gilbert. You'll see us on Weekend Edition on Sky News, Saturdays and Sundays. And I'm joined by Shane Lee. Shane, how's your week been? Timmy, it's been a great week, mate. It's lots happening in sport. It's quite a diverse week, mate. Everything from cricket to rugby league rule changes to boxing titles and... Paul Gallon's going to get his head punched in, all that sort of stuff, mate. <laughs> <There's> been... <laughs> don't give him well, my that number. Hasn't that hasn't happened yet, don't worry. I'll give him your home number if you've still got one connected. Please don't. Well, it's interesting you use the word diverse because our program today is a little bit that. We're going to go to boxing, we're going to talk cars. We're also going to talk young Joseph Suwali, this prodigious talent who's gone to the Roosters. And uh, we're going to wind the clock back. Jeff Armstrong, Australia's premier sports historian. And, and look at the Spanish flu compared to COVID-19. There's some very interesting parallels. This is Afternoon Sport. Let's get cracking. Well, this test team is looking very interesting indeed. Steve Smith has now injured his back. He's limped home back to the hotel. So with everything else that's going on, it uh, it looks quite unsettled. What are you thinking of this Australian team and the way it will be made up ahead of the first test against India, Shana? Well, Timmy, your guess is as good as mine, mate. I've got no idea what this team's going to be. Um... Guys are flying in, flying out, concussion here, concussion there. I'm not sure what's going on. All I know is is that come the first day of the test and Australia wins the toss and bats, we need to have our game face on. Um, I'm hoping that Harris played the first test. I'm not sure Burns can play. We're, we're talking about this pretty much every day, mate. He can't play the first test. Who will bat instead of him? I'm tipping Wade now. Wade will go in, open the batting, and Green will come in, hopefully concussion-free, and bat number six. Yeah, well, look, they say that he's still got plenty of support, Burns, and uh, Brett, your brother, when he was on the program the other day, said that this really does bring India, not into favouritism, but it it makes it a a very even bet between the two of them in a day-night game. Well, it's more than an even bet now. It's, um, oh, I think we're, we're behind the eight ball, like... When, when when any test team has been strong, particularly in Australia, we have a really good opening combination. You think of Hayden Langer, you think of Boone Marsh, you think of Taylor Slater. All these guys get us off to a great start, build a foundation. We haven't even got two openers at this stage. So it's going to expose Smith. Will Labashe potentially open? All of a sudden, we're changing the whole, whole dynamic of the, of the middle order. Mate, we're in big trouble here and we're guessing. And if you and I are guessing, the selectors are guessing, it means we're in a bit, bit of trouble. Yeah, and it's extraordinary how things have changed because a few weeks ago it all seemed pretty settled. Okay, let's look at what happened in Bangladesh with this wicketkeeper uh, going to take the catch. And he, he he got the grab and a young fast bowler almost ran into him because he didn't listen to his call. He, he looked like he was going to peg it at his head. <laughs> it reminded me a bit of, um, remember Gillespie and, and Steve Orr had that, that, that run in, in the field? Yeah, it was terrible. And I think Steve Orr ended up with a broken nose and a broken cheekbone and Gillespie, I think, broke his legs. So, yeah, it's ugly scenes. You know, cricket's a violent game, Timmy. Oh, Kimber, did you ever have a moment like that? <laughs> did you, you and Binger and Grant in the backyard or you and Moose up at Mossman or for New South Wales, you and Cheeks? Nah, che- look, Cheeks and I never had that sort of stuff. You know, he was a lead singer. I was a, a rhythm guitarist. So we were, we were really nice to each other. But um, no, in the backyard, I was the oldest brother. So, yeah, maybe I did boss him around. But, you know, Brett turned out okay. Yeah, yeah, he certainly did. He certainly did. All right, let's have a look at uh, this Joseph Suwali. He, he's he's had so much press, hasn't he? This young kid went to King's School uh, 
Souths wanted him, rugby wanted him, the Roosters got him. Mate, so I, I crossed live to the Roosters end of season lunch today down at um, Icebergs in Bondi. And yes, right, he's on board. He's a real talent. He's a 17-year-old. The really interesting thing here is that he's a boy from Kings. And it's one of the first times where a private school will allow the, the kid to actually play with seniors. And I've always said the one thing that both men and women have in common from an elite a sports perspective is that they're both played against adults at a young age. And this kid's about to play for it. It's a really, really big step for the private schools. Um, he's a real talent. Nick Pelias wants him. And what Nick wants, Nick gets. Yeah, well, the reason why I ended up at the private school because he was uh, he, he was on a scholarship. His parents are very much working class. I think it's Samoan and Cambodian. The mix uh, is his mum and his dad. And I remember them coming up to me at uh, New South Wales Rugby League Junior Finals where I do quite a bit of MC work. And the dad was just having a chat. Really nice fella. But it's difficult for them, isn't it, in those early stages where they're saying, oh, should I go with that manager, that manager? Because they, they line up like uh, in Jerry Maguire, don't they, when, when they see a talent, the managers? Mate, it's really tough. And I remember um, when I was growing up in Mount Warrigal and just near Oak Flats down the south coast, and after I played the under-16 competition, the home phone started to ring. That's when people used to have home phones. And yeah, it was Campbelltown, it was St. George, it was Murray Bennett calling from St. George saying, this is where Bradman played. They, they started to put the pressure on you. And, and for a parent, my dad never played sport. If you ask him now, you know, Bob Lee's played about 100 tests. But, um, <laughs> but it, it's really, really tough to decide where to go. So I really feel for this kid, but... All reports, he's super talented, and I think he's going to be in really good company there at the Roosters. Oh, yeah, he is super talented. I've seen him play. He's extraordinary. He's got that balance, but he's young, so he needs his body to, to hold together um, if, if he's going to really, you know, take it to the to the next, next level. But he is a Falau type, an Inglis type, and, and, and so often, whether it be rugby league or cricket or other sports, when they come in with that kind of pedigree, they generally go on with it. They, they do, mate. And as you said, he's he's a, the elusive, quick type. Um, he's he's got the body shape to as a seventeen year old to, to to go bigger and better. And um, yeah, with, with the right people around him, and and the Roosters are a real family club. They'll make the most of this talent. Now we're going to talk to John Stephenson more about. Um, the fight, they reckon that these two fights tomorrow could be bigger than Danny Green and Anthony Mundine and Paul Gallen and Hunt. It almost came to fisticuffs in uh, in the way in. They love it, that, don't they? They love all the showmanship. Oh, they do, mate. But, you know, Paul Gallen to me, look, I'd never say this to the guy's face because he'd probably punch my head in, but, but you know, like he, he says he's, he's a New South Wales sort of legend. Mate, the guy lost eight state of origins as captain, I think it was. But um, anyway, it's going to be a big, big fight. I think Hunt, he's he's a bit of a, a fox when it comes to, to the, the fight itself. But it, I'm going to be tuning in, that's for sure. So from a viewership, they might be right. Okay, I might just have to text Paul Gallon your your home number or your mobile. <laughs> Do you still use your home number like you did in Mount Warrigal or not? Sorry, sorry, Tim, you're cutting out, mate. I can't hear you. <laughs> and what about these people finally? What about these people who want to close all the golf courses? Give me a break. Like Clover Moore wanting to halve more park. And I saw an article today of someone else saying, I'll oh, get rid of all the golf courses. It, it's such a, um, a form of fitness, particularly for older Australians as well. Oh, mate, it, it's ridiculous, right? Now, the one thing I'm really, really proud of, when, when I went from Campbelltown and I moved to Mossman, the reason I went to Mossman, apart from I was going to be living in a really nice area, it's going to be closer to the SCG, the big fact that Mossman Career Club were about to be kicked out of the whole competition back in 1995, which meant my son now, Thomas, 
there'd be no grounds in Mosford for him to play cricket at. And the fact that I went there and brought across two really talented cricketers, Craig Hughes and Martin Haywood, who played for New South Wales, we turned the club around and we end up keeping Mosford in the competition, which I'm really, really proud of. Why would anyone want to get rid of these beautiful sporting um, areas where people can go and enjoy themselves and relax and, you know, put put buildings on for oh, – I don't get that. It's just silly. Oh, yeah, or even parks. There's enough parks. We've got Centennial Park. We've got other other areas where where people can, you know, do their recreational walks sure. and everything else. But keep the golf courses where they are. And, look, as someone – look, Kira, my brother, played a, a bit with Mossman, quite a bit with Mossman. Mm. And uh, I, I, mum and dad, God rest mum's soul, but we used to go up there all the time and, and, and see your mum and dad when they were, Kieran was playing with Grant and Rawson and Alan Border. So I, I really saw your uh, – you, know, you know, the actions of you and others at play there. What beautiful places – to watch sport from. Um, yeah, Mossman Cricket Club. It's a nice part of the world. I'll tell you what, you come a long way from Mount Warrigal. Thanks, mate. It's not that far, actually. It's about an hour and 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> You're no home phone anymore. All right, this is Afternoon Sport. Coming up, Johnny Stephenson. He's going to talk fight night and the last Grand Prix of the year. Great to have your company, Afternoon Sport. And uh, look, what about the boxing? What about the motor cars? Johnny Stephenson, well, he was a very fast runner, but these are sports that he absolutely loves. He knows a lot about them. He actually has and continues to drive professionally in motorsport. How are you, Steph? Yes, Timmy, how you doing, mate? Shane, it, look, how good was the Formula One season? I mean, barring all the chaos we had with COVID, um, where the sport would continue, a near Formula One created this bubble. I think they went to they had 17 races, I think over over six or eight different countries, um, and it all climaxed um, in Abu Dhabi um, last weekend. Man, what a season. And it looks like 2021 is just going to be another another blockbuster of a season. Then we've got 2022 coming up where you have the new cars where Lewis Hamilton is hoping that Ross Braun, who's is obviously in charge of the technical sort of background and advances of these cars, that, that they'll be able to follow each other more closely and we'll see even closer racing. So as a mad motorsport fan, um, I'm super excited and it was, it was a heck of an Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Hey, Johnny, so from a technical perspective, where does motorsport go next year? As you said, it's been a fantastic season. There's been some fantastic results in COVID, but where are the big technical developments? Yeah, Shane, I think I think next year we're not going to see a lot of technical developments because the, the actual whole car change happens in 2022. So you're going to see a lot of teams trying to save resources save money, especially after this year with COVID. Um, we can all understand the commercial support would be, I'm sure they're going through their, their own um, uh, trials and tribulations in regards to getting money back into the sport. But um, but I think more we're going to see next year is the driver changing, the team changes, the new the new team in Aston Martin with, where, where Vettel will be, be spearheading yeah, that yeah. team. I think this is where we're going to see the excitement of what's going to happen. Obviously, I think Mercedes will still dominate next year. Um, having the driver combination of Valtteri Bottas and Lewis Hamilton uh, and and what they've done over the last, I mean, last four or five years has been amazing. But um, but the way Red Bull finished this year, I think it puts them in good stead uh, for next year. But um, that Aston Martin team is a huge question mark. I think Ferrari will struggle big time next mm. year, just how they've ended up. And I think they're putting all the eggs in 2022 basket in the new in a new car change, the new shape change. Well, let's have a look at Abu Dhabi because it, it had a lot to it, didn't it? Uh, Verstappen uh, out the front, he, he was pretty much untouched and, and he won well. Uh, we had Lewis Hamilton coughing and spluttering with COVID-19. We had Daniel Ricciardo finish seventh, but he got the fastest lap. Uh, there were people saying goodbye, people saying hello. There were tears. It, it, yeah, there was a bit going on. 
Oh, there's a lot. And, and you know, the, the, the strange thing is, is poor old Valtteri Bottas, again, <laughs> bridesmaid comes second, you know, and, and Lewis, Lewis did a remarkable job. I mean, he said he was, he was quite surprised he was able to get through the race. And, but then, oh, you're quite right, Tim, the, 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 the driver seat, changes is what I think was the pinnacle for people watching the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Um, seeing Carlos Sainz and Lando Norris combination, seeing Ricardo leaving Renault, um, now going to McLaren, Fernando Alonso coming back into Renault next year, um, which is going to be really interesting if he's still got it. The funny thing is the drivers, the great drivers, there's actually great drivers in Checo Perez, Danny Kvyat, Alex Albon. These are great drivers that potentially are not going to have a seat next year. So those three names you're going to have to watch very closely to see if they land a Red Bull seat or if they won't be competing in Formula 1 next year because we saw Magnussen we saw Grosjean they're both out Grosjean had that spectacular crash two races ago you know that was his last Grand Prix or he got to watch on the sidelines so um, yeah I think that was more the story is the driver chain swaps and, and those that won't be there next year I shouldn't I shouldn't downplay this but Lewis is 165th podium I mean yeah, geez. I mean, that's just amazing you know when you think about it, 165 podiums and only, only two races ago we saw Checo Perez with his second podium and his first win in 10 years so um, Lewis has done a tremendous job and uh, sadly enough I think he's going to get a few more next year Hey Johnny what happens in motorsport so in in rugby league we have a we have a mad monday right so so in motorsport What's Mad Monday look like for them? Is it is it a drive-through movie? Well, what is it? <laughs> this is how I look at it. I think it would be like a Mad James Bond film. I reckon they all go to Monaco, right? And they all wear black. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they all wear black like penguin suits, and they get like yachts, but they all do something that's like really kind of like Bondish. You know what I mean? Does Haley Berry turn up? Oh, what 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 about the boxing? Um, uh, Paul Gallen and Mark Hunt, they got a bit fiery. Look, and, and a lot of people are pitching this night. Of course, Zoo is fighting as well, uh, as bigger than Green and Mundine. Can you guys hear me salivating? Can you hear me salivating? <laughs> I cannot wait for this. It's um, it, I reckon it'll be, it'll be the fight night of the year. Uh, we saw a great fight night last weekend on Fox Sports uh, with Brock Jarvis fighting down in Canberra. He fought extremely well. He looked like a monster against um, young Mark Schlieb. Um, but this 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 Wednesday, we got Luke Jackson who fought for World Championship against Carl Frampton uh, two years ago in in, in Ireland, um, and then now uh, we're seeing um, Costa Zoo son fighting um, obviously as the headline act, and then the fight we're all looking forward to see is Big Gal taking on Mark Hunt. And for those who were privileged to see the the press conference today, the final way in, there was a bit of argy bargy and pushing, which I just loved. I just thought it wouldn't be a boxing bout without a bit of a, a scrap at the way in. So um, and then there's, there's a really good Indigenous kid that went to Olympic Games with me in 2008 um, by the name of Paul Fleming, who, are, who signed with Top Rank, who I honestly think could be a world champion. He's fighting on the yeah. card as well. So you're quite right, Tim. It's, it's definitely um, it's definitely built to be the fight card of the, of the year. And who are you tipping, Johnny? If I was a betting man, I'd, I think Zoo wins uh, by eight-round stoppage. I reckon I, I'm actually going to go for – I reckon it'll be a uh, split decision to Paul Gallen. Uh, against wow. Mark Hunt. I reckon Mark will get a little bit tired towards the end. I think Paul looked in tremendous shape at the Wayne. Uh, I think Paul Fleming gets the win, and I think Luke Jackson um, handles his opponent quite easily. And the young Dara Foley's fighting as well. I, I, sh- I should, shouldn't forget him. Um, he's a skillful little Irish boxer, and I think he'll get the win as well. And finally, from the quirky fold, Johnny, okay, well, thanks for getting the crystal ball out on the boxing. We'll have to wait and see how it all goes. Cody Simpson. 
That Cody Simpson, yeah. right? Yeah. He's doing butterfly and backstroke in the medley. I mean, we're used to him up there with a microphone. Maybe Shane could have been played a bit of acoustic behind him, like he's Bieber's mate. Now he's in the pool. Tell me more. What's doing? Well, this is a true story, Tim. I, I like to say this is all made up in, in a movie, another James Bond movie. But no, Cody Simpson, um, who is a teenage heartthrob, um, those that know their music scene, he is um, he's taken on becoming a, a 150 meter swimmer. He's trained by one of the Australian great speed swimmers in Brett Hawk who lives now out in Los Angeles and they teamed up together and said hey let's try and do this and on the weekend he qualified for Olympic trials to represent possibly in the next Olympics in Japan next next year so it's it's phenomenal story if you think about this guy um, when I spoke to Brett about it he said look John three months ago Cody's come with me he says he wants to try out and make the team and I'm going to back him in and he reckons he's pretty good and and kudos to Brett and, and Cody I sent him a message saying well done they did it he qualified and swam a handy I think it was 54 seconds for the 100 freestyle. So um, he's, he's not a punk. So I'm really interested to watch this space come Olympic trials. And how good would that be to have a, this singer, teenage heartthrob who can swim as well? How lucky is he? Mate, so John, John, the word in the street is that he had he was on a super yacht and he had a fight with Miley Cyrus. He had, had to dive off the boat to, and swim for sure. And that's how he started his swimming career. So we'll wait and see how it goes. <laughs> well, normally, <laughs> normally, normally dudes are swimming towards him. Mate. I don't know what happened there. Every time you mention Miley Cyrus, it makes me shake because I remember her dad that's how old I am and that song <laughs> achy breaky heart it was on a high rotation at goal but it nearly killed me ding, dee, dee, dee. Uh, Johnny look um, look we've covered it all we're going to chat later in the week we'll have uh, the real lowdown on what happens uh, with all this boxing and um, yeah Cody Simpson we wish him well we sure do and I look forward to speaking to you guys on Friday because I really think my tips I gave you is red hot and if you're a betting man get all get all amongst it get some cash on those tips you're the man Johnny <laughs> nothing without confidence catch you later John <laughs> see you boys good see chat you, I love history I love sports history and no one knows more about it he's Australia's premier sports historian Jeff Armstrong and he's got some really interesting stuff to chat about after this It's afternoon sport and it's time to get nostalgic. This is what I love. I love talking about the history of our great grounds like the SCG. No one knows more about it than sports historian Jeff Armstrong. How are you, Jeff? I'm very well. It's an amazing time. I think for we Australian sports fans, all we have to do is turn the telly on and watch you know, the NFL or the European football and see the empty stadiums and we realise just how blessed we are. Jeff, let's look at the last pandemic and the impact it's had on sport, how did the Spanish flu affect things? Well, when it struck in uh, well, really early 1919, the initial reaction was not too dissimilar to what occurred this time in terms of borders being shut and uh, you know race meetings called off and crowds weren't allowed to go to games. But that they soon got back to normal. It was, it's an interesting time studying the Spanish flu. The, there were more deaths during the winter, but by that time the crowds were allowed back in. It was a it was a tougher time for Australia than what Australia's had to put through this time. But we got again we got out of it. And by 1920, it's it's interesting where 1921 we're celebrating the centenary of a very very famous Ashes series. And uh, when sport got on its feet after the Spanish flu, it did so in a really big way. It's uh, it's really interesting, isn't it, to see where sport can lift people to, particularly when uh, things are over, like wars are over, pandemics. Are over because uh, during the period of time, uh, the sports 
stops too and it's generally the thing that most people look for their release from the the grim nature of their lives sometimes some people work some terribly difficult jobs and have done it through the course of the centuries and sport has been that thing that lifted them above so it, it plays a big role doesn't it with the spanish flu in 1919 which came straight after the great war and uh you know, the rugby league in Sydney and the VFL in Melbourne had kept going, the horse racing had kept going. And I think it's interesting, the Great War and then the Spanish flu nearly sent the SCG broke. Uh, and it was only the astute management of the trustees that kept the ground alive, basically. But the playing of sport, it, it certainly did keep the, the community spirits up at a time when, you know, the spirits were down. And uh, I think probably the best demonstration of that was what occurred when the flu passed. You know, from 1920 and 1921, the way the crowds flocked to sport, it was there's a real sense of community there. And the Australians, you know, played some some really great football and some really great cricket. I mean, in the Ashes series in 2021, uh, they swept the series 1-5-0 uh, you know, with, with great players like Jack Gregory and Arthur Maley and Warwick Armstrong and uh, one of the great Australian sides. And I think we'll see the same thing happen next year or when when we get the vaccine and when COVID passes to a degree, I think we'll see this great celebration. And I can, I can imagine some of the sporting events next year, starting with the cricket over the new year and going through with the football and, and the great horse races and that. I think it'll be a real celebration. So, Jeff, I'm a passionate St George supporter, as I believe you are. They're about to celebrate the centenary. St George had originally tried to get into the comp in 1908, but back in 1908, St George was on the edge of town and a rugby union team had only started there two years earlier. So the time was right in 1921 uh, for St George to start their journey to become one of the great Australian sporting institutions. And a pretty amazing club, aren't they, the Dragons? Uh, tell me, uh, you've said it to me in the past because uh, it's a great line, behind the baggy green, the Dragons. Yeah, tell, tell us your thoughts on that. Well, my theory is that the, the baggy green is the number one sporting brand uh, in, the, in Australia. But in my view, the red V, the white with the red V, is number two. Uh, it's the most – it's something – and it, when tel- television came into Australia in 1956, the same year that St George started their famous 11-year run. And so for the next 11 years, as people got televisions in their home and started watching live sport for the first time on TV, the white with the red V was just a, a brand that was associated with success. And it's it's something that St George have managed to sustain through, through the years after the 11 premierships uh, into the, the era of St George Illawarra. And even, it's really interesting, the club's had a, a tough run over the last two or three years, and yet so strong is their brand that uh, they just introduced their centenary merchandise only in the last few days, and their reaction to it has been amazingly positive. Absolutely. Well, well, as we head towards Christmas, just finally, uh, what, what's a good book for us? You, you work on and, and contribute to a number of great sporting books. You, you put the Anna Mears book out not so long ago, and I love Anna. She's just a wonderful Australian sportswoman. Uh, what's something for Christmas? Well, mate, I, I reckon I found the, the trick to book publishing. I, I've been lucky over the years. I've worked with people like Steve Waugh, Ricky Ponting, Wayne Bennett, but uh, and I'm not sledging those people at all, don't get me wrong, but the, the key to book publishing, I reckon, now is to work with great people. I mean, that's why I'm talking to you now, mate. But um, I've had the, the joy earlier in the year, as you say, to work with Anna, who is the not she's probably the most inspiring athlete I've ever worked with. 
but she's also the nicest person I think I've ever worked with. It, it was just it a joy. And her book is so good. And I, I would love to think that a lot of daughters would buy Anna Mears's book for their fathers for Christmas. I'd love to see that happen because I, it's not a reflex for women to buy books for their men, but I reckon that a lot of guys out there would really love to read the Anna Mears book because she is just a legend. The other book I published this year is with the uh, Queensland-based, the great sports journalist Mike Coleman, which is a collection of his greatest work. And I was only thinking this morning, one of the best chapters in Mike's book is on the Springbok rugby tour in 1971 and uh, the controversial tour when uh, there was a lot of uh, clashes off-field because of the South Africans' anti-apartheid policies. Mike's written a magnificent chapter on that year, which is 50 years ago next year. And uh, that wow. sort of fits in with the SCG story, the, the images from the SCG with that. But Mike, Mike's captured a lot of really great sporting yarns in his book, and that's one of them. Okay. Well, we look forward to that. I uh, Get out there and buy one for Christmas, Jeff. Always great to chat with you, and, and we'll talk soon. Have a, have a nice festive season. Mate, thanks. It's always a joy. That's it for Afternoon Sport today. We'll be with you Monday to Friday every week. Hit subscribe on your podcast app so you don't miss it. A big thank you goes out to John Stephenson, to Jeff Armstrong today. Thanks to our sponsors, O'Brien Beer and to Spartan. And, of course, he is what Maria Von Trapp was to the sound of music when it comes to podcasts. His name is Dan McHugh. He's a magician. He's Copperfield-like. We'll be back tomorrow, Shano. Look forward to it. We'll see you then.